Well, good morning, everybody. I just want to tell you this morning to begin with uh, that it is an honor for me to be here at Randall Church. Um, the few times that I've connected with this and the, um, the uh, time, things that Brian has shared, I really admire this church, uh, a community of Christ followers who go upward to God, inward in fellowship, and outward to reach the lost. It is an honor to be invited uh, here this morning. Um, it's also an honor for me uh, to be invited to uh, preach from the book of Romans, um, where Paul declares that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Paul says that at the right time, when we were yet powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for people like me. Amazing grace. It is also an honor to be here today for Brian's ordination ceremony. I want to go on record right at the beginning of saying, I am so, so proud of Brian. I really am. I mean, I know Brian's 34 years old. He's married and has 2.8 children. And, um, and he is not my little boy anymore, but I am still a very, very proud papa. I really am. <laughs> now, I can remember when Brian was a little boy. I can remember. I can remember on the day he was born, uh, heading to the hospital, we were planting a church in Wisconsin at the time. He was born in the midst of a church planting endeavor. I can remember putting him on the school bus for the first time in kindergarten, and he was really no fear. I mean, he was ready to go to kindergarten. I can remember putting him on the bus and watching him get on the bus, and then Beth and I got into our car, drove to the school, and watched him get off the bus <laughs> at the school. I remember that. We were more nervous about that than he ever was. I can remember some of the mischief that Brian was involved in as a little boy. I can remember when he put a golf ball down the furnace pipe, and I'm not sure what really happened there. I can remember all the times he tried to terrify his little brother, uh, who's here today as well. Um, I can remember the time that I was home alone with Brian, and Beth was doing something else, and I was on the phone, and he snuck outside, and he took off and wandered off, and I lost him for 45 minutes. And I'm glad I found him because Beth would have killed me. But anyhow, <laughs> I remember that. I remember the time that Brian kicked a soccer ball in the house, which was forbidden. And um, he broke one of mommy's pretties. That's what we called them, mommy's pretties. And he broke one of them. And he tried to keep it secret. He kept it secret for about a week. And um, finally, Beth, who's a, a teacher at the school, found out that the school counselor for this third grader, the he had gone to see the school counselor, and he'd confessed his sins, and, and, and he was wondering if he should tell mommy, because I know she's going to kill me, kind of a thing. Beth has never killed anybody. That's, I, want you to, I want you to know that. I say all that to say that Brian was a handful as a little boy. And um, he was a good example of original sin. 
and, um, and all the mischievous stuff that he tells you that Micah does, he deserves that. He deserves that. But look how far our son has come. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We've known that Brian was going to be a preacher from very early in his life. I, we didn't push him or pressure him, but we just knew. We just knew this was going to be God's calling on his life. The year that we were here in Amherst, the year that we were uh, uh, trying to help this uh, church out, um, Brian was my assistant. Um, back then, our incredible technology, we had overhead projectors. And Brian was the one that flipped the overhead projectors for images that I was preaching on and words to the song. He was my assistant back in those days. When he was a junior in high school, um, Brian um, was already a pretty good speaker. And um, um, one summer, uh, my junior, his junior year in high school, I sent a letter to 50 of my colleagues, my clergy colleagues, and said, my son will come preach for you when you're on vacation this summer. It didn't take very long, and Brian filled every single Sunday for four years. We just knew. We've known all along that Brian has the kind of relationship with Jesus and possesses the necessary gifts and talents that will provi provide a fruitful ministry. Fruitful, and we've known this a long time, a fruitful ministry that will like likely take him well beyond whatever God has done in my life and make it look puny. And that's not pressure, that's admiration. I couldn't be prouder to be here speaking today. But before I really begin preaching in earnest, I need to tell you something. Uh, I need to tell you that I've been schnookered today. I've been schnookered by Brian and Milo and the church staff because they assigned me this passage. They, they assigned me the passage, Romans 7, verses 1 to 6. And so when I got my assignment, um, I read it, and then I pulled open in the very first, the very first commentary that I read on this passage, the first line was this. It's the, the commentator said this, seldom did Paul write, such a difficult and complicated passage as this. Milo and Brian stuck me with the toughest text. They saw me coming, give it to the old man. That's, that's what they did. But we are going to get some good stuff out of this passage. We really are. So let me read it to you today. If you have your Bibles or your your Bible app, or however you read your Bible. Um, I want to read from uh, Romans chapter 7, and um, I'm going to begin right here in verse 1. It says this, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as the person lives? For example, by law, I married a woman uh, uh, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, 
If she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. And here's the application to that illustration. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now, remember that, that phrase, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were controlled by our sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. May God add his blessing upon this reading of his holy word. Let me just pause for a word of prayer before I begin. Lord, uh, take this passage as difficult and complicated as the experts say. And take the truth, the kernel of truth that is here, and apply it to our lives on this most wonderful day of ordination. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I need to tell you, and um, uh, you'll find that out if you get to know us, but my wife and I, Beth and I, have a wonderful, wonderful marriage. I can't imagine a better marriage than what we have. I thank God for the wonderful woman that that God has blessed me with. But as a pastor of a church, I have observed some really bad marriages. And I'm sure you have observed some bad marriages as well, where people don't respect each other, where they don't love each other, where they don't serve each other, where they try, don't try to meet each other's needs, they don't communicate, they don't affirm, they fight, they bicker, often in public. They fight about money, and they fight about who does the chores, and they fight about sex, and they fight about holidays, and they fight uh, with contempt toward each other. And I have seen and witnessed some really, really bad marriages. Oop, there it goes. There we go. I've seen some really, really bad marriages. I've seen some relationships that don't seem to work at all. They don't seem to work at all. This is fine. I don't need this anymore. So, (laughs) kind of a thing. Okay. (laughs) When I lose this, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Paul was trying to say in this passage that if we try to live according to the law, if we live and try to follow the rules and try to be good enough for God and try to base our relationship with God on being a keeper of the law, it's like a bad marriage. That's just not good. It doesn't work. Trying to be good enough leads simply to frustration. It leads to shame. It leads to a constant trying to do it harder and harder and grit your teeth. It never leads to right standing with God. You and the law, if, if you're married to the law and you're, you're, you're just trying to follow the law, that's all you try to do. It's a bad marriage and it doesn't work. Paul knew personally that it didn't work. Earlier in his life, Paul was the ultimate rule follower. 
You find that as you look through the New Testament. Paul says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Not the seventh day, not the ninth day, but the eighth day. I was circumcised just the day I was supposed to. I had zeal for the law. I was faultless for the law. Paul tried harder to follow the law than any of you have ever tried to follow it. Some of you here think you walk the straight and narrow, but Paul puts you in the dust. I mean, as far as following the law, Paul was Tom Brady and you're Nate Peterman. That, that, that's, it's just, you know, he did it so much better than you've ever tried. Paul tried harder to follow the law more than anybody here. Now, the question is, did this work for Paul? I mean, did this lead to right standing with God? No, it didn't. What it led to was a lot of of nitpicking, a lot of feelings of superiority. It led to persecuting churches, uh, Christians, and throwing them in prison. I was the best of rule keepers, Paul says, over and over and over again. But at the same time, I was the chief of sinners. The harder you try to follow the law, the more obvious it becomes that you're a sinner. Being married to the law is a bad, bad marriage. Now, I want to share today, there's a couple of reasons why law-keeping, you know, basing your standing on God by following the law, why that doesn't work. First of all, uh, none of us, nobody here, nobody in the history of, of, of humanity, none of us can pull this off. None of us can be good enough because we are serial sinners. We mess up. We're mischievous little boys and girls. We put golf balls down furnace pipes. We wander off and get lost. We break mommy's pretties. We paint doors that aren't supposed to be painted. And then we grow up and it's the same deal. I mean, we never grow out of that. We hang on to our money like it's God. We're self-centered. We have lust and pride and deception. And we truly believe that we are at the center of the universe. (laughs) How ridiculous is that? You're at the center of the universe. One author that I read says that all of us, all of us think of the world, that the world is a movie about us. The world's a movie about us. We're the stars, and everybody else just has a bit part in our movie. We're messed up. Our attempts to follow the law will always fail. And if we try to get to God by keeping the rules, it just won't work. Being married to the law is a bad marriage. Well, the second reason that it's a bad marriage is that this passage says that the law arouses sin. The law arouses sin. What are they talking about? Well, um, let let me give you an example this morning. I'm going to do a little experiment with you right now. And and I realize I'm just a guest speaker, and I don't have any authority here at this church. And, you know, but indulge me. I'm going to lay down the law this morning. I'm going to give you a law, and you got to follow, at least for an hour, you got to follow this law, all right? This, I'm the authority kind of thing. During this hour, it is sinful for you to think about how bad the sabers are. 
don't think about that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't ponder that. It's against the law to think about how bad the sabers are. What are you thinking about? <laughs> what are you thinking about? That's what you're thinking about. I know you're thinking about that. I know they won last night. But anyhow, I know that's what you're thinking about. To forbid something gives it a certain power. The law arouses sin. There's just one tree in the Garden of Eden that you can't eat the fruit off of. Just one tree. That's forbidden. And what fruit gets eaten? The law has this power about it to make us want to do what is forbidden. The law arouses sin. All right. So let me, let me summarize. Let me summarize. Trying to get right standing with God, following the rules, is like a bad marriage. It doesn't work. We can't pull it off anyhow, and the law just comes back and arouses more sin in us. It is a bad, bad marriage. Now, once upon a time, everybody in this room was in that bad marriage. I mean, I mean, it, all of us were there at one time. All of us were probably there trying to earn our way to God. And not only that, but most of the people that you meet that are outside the church, unchurched people, if they think about God at all, they think they've got to be good enough. They think they've got to be good enough. This is a rampant thought in our culture. Sometimes in a group of people, I'll give them all a piece of, a little piece of scrap of paper, and I'll say, uh, rate yourself on how good you are. Rate yourself for how good you are. You know, if, if Adolf Hitler is a zero and Billy Graham is a ten, where on the scale are you? And I'll have everybody give themselves a, a number, score themselves. I'll bring them in, and then I'll average them out. And you know what the average score is? The average score is seven. We, we all think we're seven. Well, then I, I, I have this other question I ask, second question I ask. Okay, all right, if you've got to earn your way to heaven, I say, what's the score you've got to get? What's the score that you've got you to get? You know, if you've got to earn God's favor. I do the same thing. It has to stop. I, and then, they, then we average them all out. You know what the score comes out then? 6.9. 6.9. We all think it was just a little bit, that we've just barely earned it. But we can't earn it. It's a bad marriage. It's counterproductive. It doesn't work. So today, I want to ask a question. Interesting question. You know, here in Randall Church, interesting question I want to ask. How do you get out of a bad marriage? How do you get out of a bad marriage? Well, I, you know, take a deep breath. I'm not going to talk about divorce. I would be stupid. And I know that, you know, how do you get out of a bad marriage? It's a bad question, right? That's not the question that we'd ever ask anybody, right? But this is Paul's illustration, and you stuck me with this topic. How do you get out of a bad marriage? Paul would say, somebody's got to die. That's how you get out of a bad marriage. Somebody's got to die. Paul says, if your spouse dies, it is at that point that you are free to marry somebody else. So if you have got a bad marriage with the law, and you're trying to live to the law, and you're working hard, and you're trying to stay pure, and you're trying to be more pure every day, and fight back every temptation, and it doesn't work, 
and it just makes sin worse, Paul says, die to the law. We need to die to the law. We need to die to that bad marriage and put the law behind us and consider it dead and gone and move on from the law. You move on, you die from a bad marriage in baptism, especially for you Baptists. You die in the water and you come up out of the water to a new relationship in Christ. It's, it didn't work the old way. But this does work. This new relationship, it does work. It does bring you right standing with God. And it's not about shame and trying harder. And now you have freedom. And now you're not a slave to sin anymore. And now you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And now you want to please Christ. And you serve Christ out of a sense, not of obligation or earning it, but you serve Christ out of a sense of thankfulness and gratitude for all that he's done. And it's a marriage that's full and whole and healthy. It's it's really a really good marriage, but you had to die of the law to get there. And then, finally, this passage says that there are two things. I kind of highlighted them when I read the passage. But um, there's two things that happen to you when you have this good marriage with Christ. It says that you bear fruit for God, you bear fruit for God, and that you serve in the Spirit. You know, instead of being frustrated and repeatedly falling short, instead of having the law arouse your sin and make it even worse, now you bear fruit for God and serve in the Spirit. This is the great blessing that every Christian who trusts Christ has. You bear fruit for God. You serve in the Spirit. This is the potential, the potential of every Christian sitting here today who's trusted Christ, bear fruit for God, serve in the Spirit. Actually, this is the expectation of every Christian who trusts Christ. You are to bear fruit for God and serve in the Spirit. So I want to ask today, are you bearing fruit for God? Are you serving in the Spirit? Is your life producing love, joy, peace, patience, and the fruit of the Spirit? When people see you, do they see Jesus in your life? Does the Holy Spirit empower and direct you? And as you go out into your every day, are you a witness, an ambassador, a kingdom agent, a blessing to others? And does this all flow, this new life, this bearing fruit and serving? Is this all flow from a deep sense of gratitude for what Christ has done in your life? Are you bearing fruit for God? Are you serving in the Spirit? I would tell you today you can and you should and you must. There's a world out there that needs Jesus. A world that needs you bearing fruit for God and serving in the Spirit.
Well, I'll bring us back. Here in this church, you have a 34-year-old young man who's being ordained today. He is your outreach and discipleship pastor, and I happen to be related to him. You know what Brian's job is? I, I, I haven't even looked at the job description, but I know what Brian's job is. Brian's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Your entire staff, that's, their, that's Ephesians 4. That's what they're supposed to do. Equip the saints. That's you. You're a saint for the work of the ministry. Brian's job is to inspire and train and teach and resource and model for you. Brian's job is to walk beside you and challenge you and love you so that you will bear fruit for God and serve in the Spirit. So again, I ask you, are you doing that? Are you bearing fruit for God or serving in the Spirit? And if you are, Brian and the staff are doing their job. And if you're not, Brian, get busy. Get busy. Because that's your job. We've got a room full of saints here. I mean, you don't look like saints. You look like the guys in my church. But, but God calls you saints. That is, you're a called out person. You're a called out person. You're a hagios. Paul calls you a saint. This is a room full of gifted people, talented people. These are, this is a room full of people who have experienced amazing grace. These are people in this room who have new life in Jesus. And people who are not in bad marriages with following the law, but people in good standing now with Jesus. You are a people on a mission to grow inward and upward and outward. You are people who have been sent to this community to bear fruit for God and to serve in the Spirit. And so, Brian, do your job. Equip these saints for the work of the ministry. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we don't have to live according to that law that arouses sin and causes problems. We don't have to be in that bad marriage. But that we die to the law. And we live in the spirit. We live in Christ. And we live so that we can serve. Out of the right kind of gratitude and motivation. Lord I pray today. That you will bless this congregation, that you will make them a mighty force in this community, and that you will be with Brian and the staff as they equip everyone here to do what we've been called to do. And we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.